Well, praise the Lord. We're going to get into the book. What book? In Matthew. We're going to be there for a while. I think on my notes we're in week 34 or something. We're in chapter 8, so I think we've got a ways to go still. Praise the Lord. There was, this isn't in my notes or in my plan, but just it came to mind, the first missionary to Burma. The first missionary to translate God's word into the Burmese language started with the book of Matthew. For a long time, that's all they had. And let me tell you, everything you need to know about Christ and following Christ can be found in the book of Matthew. Now, praise the Lord for so much else that we have in God's word, but the book of Matthew is rich with the gospel, with what we need for following our Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to finish chapter 8. I wasn't going to do it, but I said, no, this all goes together. We're going to finish chapter 8. So it's going to be a little bit longer. Starting in verse 18, let's read Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Lord, help us to understand your word this morning. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see it and to be receptive to your word, your truth in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew, very purposeful in how he puts this gospel of Christ together. And as we mentioned before, not necessarily trying to get everything as it happened in experience or even in order. But for us to understand, especially a Jewish audience, to understand this coming King, Jesus, from the beginning, 
You have, Paul, you, have, you have John the Baptist saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus picks up the same, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Matthew takes us to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is explaining just, just how things about the kingdom that just blow the minds of a Jew and what they expected the kingdom to be about, right? And that's what Matthew is, is directing through this, especially to a Jewish audience, but, but to us as well. What you might have thought, the, the eternal reign of the King Jesus, who's a descendant of David, that, that reign of David continuing on forever, what that's going to look like, and, and what Jesus describes as this, this kingdom of a, of a surpassing righteousness, not just of outward appearance, but, but of the heart, to not, not only a kingdom where people don't murder each other, but a kingdom where people don't hate each other, right? A, a kingdom where, where even enemies are loved by those in the kingdom. He describes a perfection that's impossible. And Matthew, to his readers, through that, is leaving them hanging. We, we kind of knew. We kept going back to Christ and the cross. Well, well, after the cross, this side of the cross, we know how this works out. But to his readers, it was a kingdom that seemed impossible to be a part of if those in the kingdom had such perfection surpassing righteousness and then just to boggle our minds more Matthew then goes from Jesus description of this kingdom to, to drawing our attention to who Jesus went to he went to the outcast to the leper the one who was chronically unclean unfit for worship in the temple that's who he went to he went to the Gentile who's outside of the lineage of David, the lineage of Abraham, who would be inherit, you know, natural inheritors of the kingdom, the one outside of that who's expressing faith in Christ and Jesus saying, it's people like that. Many from the east and the west are going to come and they're going to be a part of this kingdom, part of this family, sit at the same table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, he, and those who are naturally born, descendants of Abraham, some of those will be cast out. What you thought it was, your perceptions of what the kingdom was about, challenging that. And then last week we got into not only what this kingdom is, not only who he's, he's including, the unclean, the cast out, the Gentile, but how. As he draws our attention to Jesus, the healer, and then he points us back and says, who is this? This is, this is the one Isaiah was talking about, the ultimate healer. How is it that the unclean can be included in this, this kingdom of surpassing righteousness and perfection and holiness? How can the Gentile outside of the promise be included in? It's, it's through the healing work that Jesus provided for on the cross so that by his wounds we might be healed. Our sin atoned for, cleansed, made righteous, not by our righteousness, but by his. The answer of how we found was in Jesus himself. Jesus is that answer. So what does that look like? What does it look like? to respond to what Jesus has provided. 
Jesus is calling people to follow him, right? Jesus' mission in becoming a man and going to the cross was to save sinners, and now he is calling people to follow him, to put their faith in him. If you've responded to Jesus' call on your life, you are his disciple. That's what faith in Jesus is about following him, trusting him as he extends grace, as he extends the way out. His mission was a rescue mission. Right now, there's terrible things going on in Afghanistan. A lot of eyes turned in that direction, right? Right now, there's a rescue operation going on in Afghanistan. If I was living in Afghanistan, one of those who's hoping for a way out, and one of our brave heroes showed up at my door and said, follow me, what am I going to do? I'm going to trust him. He's wearing the right thing. He's the one who has the way out. I would know that, and I would follow him. I would trust him. I would believe what he says. That's what believing in Jesus Christ is about. It's not just, oh, yeah, I believe there was a Jesus. I believe the things God says. No, he's on a rescue mission to rescue you and me, and if we're going to believe in him, we're going to turn from what we're doing. We're going to follow him. He came to save sinners. And if I've responded to his call in my life, I am his disciple, a follower of Christ. If I say, there and back again, what book am I talking about? Anybody? There and back again. It's the Hobbit. Right? There and back again. Maybe you've seen the movie. There and back again. It's a story of a hobbit who goes out. Here's the short version. Goes out, slays a dragon, and comes back. Right? That's the short version. Well, Matthew's drawing our attention now to Jesus, who's about to take his disciples on a there and back again adventure. They're going to go across the Sea of Galilee, they're not going to slay a dragon, but it's going to be something more real and, and more terrible than the dragon that, that Bilbo slew. And they're going to come back again, right? There and back. Jesus is about to take his disciples on an adventure. And the focus now here is not about what the kingdom is. It's not about who the kingdom is for. It's not about how we have entry into the kingdom. But now that we see Jesus is the one, this is about now being a disciple of Christ. And, and much of what we see in the Gospels, because Christ's purpose here was not, it was to save sinners. And there's, there's a twofold strategy in that. Two main things in Jesus' life. One was to go to the cross. That's the primary. Provide the way of salvation. Unless he goes to the cross and provides the way for atonement for our sins, there's no way out. There's no salvation. But then his other objective in this 
was to pour himself into 12 men to raise up 12 disciples who would be ready to follow and create other disciples after he was gone. Not their own disciples, but more disciples of Christ. And so what we see here is very much a section where it's about training disciples. If you want to know what discipleship looks like, here we go. This is Jesus discipling his disciples. I don't think all 12 are here yet. We haven't even gotten to the place where Matthew is called to be a disciple. But certainly, he is training up his disciples. All right, let's look. In verse 18, it says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. He said, We're going over to the other side. Now, we know what's going to happen on their trip over. There's going to be a storm such that these seasoned fishermen are going to feel like it's the end. They're going to perish. And it's possible that at this point it's a completely clear day, but, but I, I suspect seasoned fishermen would have known at this time this might not be the best time for a cruise across Galilee. But Jesus is saying, we're going to the other side, right? Now, Matthew here, in my best understanding of this, is now injecting an account. He's going to continue on them getting in the boat, going to the side, but he's going to stop right there, and he's going to inject an event that happened another time. But the way Matthew writes is he wants us to understand. This is focused on what it is to follow Christ, the one who is the only way of salvation. What is it to be a disciple of him? So first, he's giving the instructions, we're going to the other side. And then Matthew brings up these two things. First in verse 19, And a scribe came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Boy, I want that to be my heart every day. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. What do we need to know in that? Jesus' response. Jesus said to him in verse 20, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes and birds have more of the luxuries and, and care and facilities of this world than the Son of Man. If you're going to follow me, understand what it might mean. You're going to go where I go. You're going to trust in me. You're going to be my disciple. You're going to go where I go. And that doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean that you have the provisions of this world. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that doors of homes are open to let you in. That there's a place for you. That people want you to be a part of their life. No, it doesn't guarantee any of that. Understand what you're saying when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. And absolutely, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. Here's another thing. 
Verse 21. Another disciple says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. What? Well, it helps to understand there's a figure of speech that was current to that time being used here. To go bury my father doesn't necessarily mean that my father has passed away yet. Maybe his father passed away, but that's not necessarily the case. This was a figure of speech meaning, let me go gather my inheritance, right? Let me go wait and get to that point when I have what I need to actually be able to follow you, Jesus. I'm not ready yet. There's some things that need to be in order, and then I'll have what I need to follow you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Who are the dead? Spiritually dead. Those who are just of this world. Those who aren't followers of Christ. Let those who are of this world be caught up and worried about the things and the provisions of this world. Inheritances, future security, financial security, all, all those things that you need, need, you think you need. Leave that to those of this world. You follow me. Every one of us can go down an endless list of things that we need to have ready first before we're ready to answer the call to follow Jesus. High schoolers, don't think that you need to become an adult first before you can answer the call to follow Jesus. says now. No, I, no that's, that's for adults. I need to graduate high school before I can, I can be a follower of Jesus. And then you graduate high school. Well, I, I got to get my career and I got to figure out what I'm going to do in life. I got to start making money. That's got to be my focus. Jesus, I need to do that first before I can follow you. I'm going to get married. All right, that's, that's my whole focus. I need to do that first. Jesus, before I can follow you, I need to get family together. Get, I've got to get future plans. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to live? What, what's going to be our life? I've got to get that figured out before, Lord Jesus, I can then look and ask you, where is it that I should live? Where should I go? What should I be doing? No, Jesus says, leave those concerns, those worries, to those who are of this world. I want you to follow me. No, I, I need to get financially secure first. That's what's happening here. Let me go bury my father. Let me go get that inheritance so that now I have a platform to follow you from, Lord Jesus. This is, this is what I believe. As a young man, first I've got to go make my riches and then think what I can do for the Lord with my riches. Jesus never calls for that. He says, follow me and I will provide. Maybe it'll be riches. Maybe it'll be what the world would say is a windfall, but in that moment that you're following him and that you would know it's actually not your own doing. It is him providing for his work in you. So Matthew's getting into what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Here's the first thing if you're following in the notes. As a disciple of Jesus, 
He has the final word. Yes, youth, think about what happens after high school. Please think about what happens after high school. But do that on your knees. Jesus has the final word. As you're figuring out, where should I go get a job? Where, where should I go live? Where, take that to him. Yes, work it out. Get counsel. But who has the final word in your life? Jesus. If I'm a disciple of his, Jesus, going over the, Gal the Sea of Galilee is not a good thing right now. We've been fishermen a long time. We know it might be okay, but, but my weather leg is starting to act up, right? We're not going that way. No, you have the final word, Jesus. We follow you. To put my faith in Jesus Christ is to truly let him be Lord of my life. That's faith. That's what... Trusting the rescuer is all about. All right, you're in charge now. I don't know how. I can't get out. That is also something that we exercise imperfectly, as his disciples did here. They're still learning. Wait, no, isn't it a good idea, Lord, if I go do this first? They're learning to trust him, learning to follow him. Am I hearing his voice in my life that I'm even hearing what he wants me to do? Do you know how to hear his voice? There's a lot of voices right now. I don't have to explain. You all know. There's a lot of voices right now that would tell you what you need to do. Tell you even what it means to be a Christian right now. There's one voice that matters. Are you listening to it? Are you hearing his voice? And when you do, when I do, am I willing to obey? No matter what storm he's calling me into, no matter what direction he's, he's leading, he leads, I follow. But Jesus, first I need to follow me. Well, the disciples did. Verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. They're learning. That's good. They didn't know what they were in for. But praise the Lord. He was about to disciple them. Sometimes, you're trying to go, Lord, Why? It's a loving Father, a loving Lord Jesus, teaching us, discipling us for his purpose. They get in the boat, verse 24, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was, Jesus was, asleep. From the other gospel accounts, he was in the back of the boat on a cushion, sleeping. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. 
Mark gets more into the experience of it, just how much these seasoned fishermen believed this was the end. Have you ever had where you step out in faith? Okay, God, I believe this is what you're saying. And then you step out. And what you believed was the thing that you're stepping out in faith on disappears. And the bottom falls out. God, where are you? God, did I misunderstand you? God, are you just not going to hold me up in this? God, I, I trusted you and now you're not coming through. That's where they're at. Why are you sleeping? Don't you see? We are perishing. And Jesus said to them what we need to hear in the moment that we're in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the darkest part. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Why? Jesus isn't asking for information. He's asking for them to contemplate the question. He's asking us so that we contemplate that question. Why are you afraid? As we look to what's going on in Afghanistan, what's not reported so much, but we know has to be the case is that the church our brothers and sisters many of them will become martyrs probably soon right it's not new it's going on around the world already but now in that part of the world, it's going to become a hotbed. But the testimony of our brothers and sisters has shown time and time again that the presence of God is never closer than when you're ready to despair. The boldness brought by the Holy Spirit is never greater than when it is needed. We consider those kinds of things and we say, I could never face that. Well, you're right. But praise the Lord, my faith and trust and belief is not in this person, but in the rescuer. In the one who brings life, in the one who I've put my trust, that's the one who will carry me in the darkest, most desperate times. I don't put my faith in myself. Put it in Him. Here's the second thing as a disciple. As Jesus' disciple, I can trust Him above all. I can trust Him above all. They didn't need to... They were at the end of, of every skill and resource that they had as fishermen, as seamen. No, they, they, they didn't have anything left in themselves. 
trusting the boat? No, they didn't trust the boat. But they could trust Christ above all. And no matter what you're facing, even as it seems desperate, Lord, I trusted you with my finances, and now I'm looking at bankruptcy. Lord, I'm going to be destitute out on the streets. He doesn't promise that we're going to enjoy the comforts of this world. The Son of Man has no place to, to lie his head. Maybe there's a course of action he's taking you to that's going to put you homeless on the streets. I don't know what that is. But I can still trust him above all. verse 26, he says, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled. Mark, who is more into the experience of it, describes more than just marveled. They were terrified. Who is this that can just speak and rebuke the winds and the sea? Now they're no longer afraid of what's outside the boat. They're afraid of what's inside the boat. Jesus himself. Praise the Lord. That's what we need. In contrast to anything we face, any hardship, any person, any opposition, if we were right now in the heart of Afghanistan among the Taliban and, and there was a note that came to us that our heads were marked, we would still say the same thing. I don't fear them any more than I fear Christ. I fear Christ above any of you. You can put physical harm on me. He can condemn a, whole, a soul to hell. Who are you afraid of? My Lord Jesus is greater than any of you. My Lord Jesus is greater than any storm I might be in. Yes, Lord, help me to fear you, to see your awesome power so that I would stop fearing things of such little consequence around me. Then they get to the other side. Verse 28. When he came to the other side. Notice it's just talking about Jesus. Jesus got in the boat. Jesus got to the other side. They're following Jesus. And this is what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. It's where he is going that is important. Right? You know, there used to be this thing it's much more popular. It still is around. WWJD. What would Jesus do, right? And we'd write, wear a bright bracelet, and we'd, and we'd be mindful throughout the day. It's a good thing to think. What would Jesus do? But it's the wrong question. And, and we apply it wrong because, because we, we kind of fancy our own ideas of what Jesus would do, and, and then we apply that to all our situations and say, well, Jesus would do this and Jesus would do that. And we get in arguments of what Jesus would do. No, the question is not what would Jesus do. The question is what is Jesus doing? I am a follower of Christ. He's getting into the boat. I'm getting into the boat. He went to the other side. I'm going to the other side. If I'm hearing his voice, I'm not asking what would he do. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, what are you doing and where would you have me go? What would you have me do? 
The focus is on what he is doing. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, I think it's the right way to pronounce that, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Some of the other gospel accounts focus on just one man. It's possible one of them was the more terrifying one, and there was another one there. Um, the other gospels go into more detail, not just pass that way. They, they try to chain up this man. He would break chains. They, there was no containing this man. The disciples have already witnessed Jesus casting out demons and healing people. There's going to be a time in the future where Jesus is going to give them the ability to cast out demons and heal people. He's going to send them out as part of their discipleship training. But right now, they're observers. How powerful is Jesus? This is going to be the ultimate case of any account that we see in Scripture of casting out demons. They're going to find when they, later on they get sent out, there's going to be some cases they can't handle. But how much can Jesus handle? What are the disciples going to observe? This is about their training. This is about them observing who this man Jesus. They've already had quite the lesson coming across. Who is this man who can obey, who, who, can, who can cause the wind and sea to obey his word? These two demon-possessed men come out. So fierce, no one could pass that way. Verse 29, and behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? What are the disciples learning about this man they are with? The, de the demons recognize him. They recognize him as not, as he's been calling himself, the Son of Man, but as the Son of God. And he has authority to send them with a word. The, the other, the other, another ver, uh, gospel says to the abyss. That's where, that's where they're talking about. There's an appointed time where they're going to be sent into the abyss. And, and they're saying, they know it. They're saying, what, what are you doing? Are you sending us there now? So what are the disciples learning? He has power with a word to condemn them forever, to send them. Church. 2,000 years later, the Jesus that we follow is the same Jesus. He is the Son of God. He has the power with a word. Now there was a herd of many pigs that's feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go, it's a command. At that point, they don't have a choice. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd, other gospels record a couple thousand, I think it was a couple thousand, which tells how many demons the legion of demons within this man, within these men. 
whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. You know, we look at this and we try to figure, okay, what's the picture story? What's the, why the pigs? What? I don't know that it's supposed to be anything especially special, except what are the disciples learning? They're witnessing Jesus commanding a legion of demons. And then we, for whatever reason, I don't know about you, the focus goes to the pigs. What? Why the pigs? That's not the focus of the pastors, and that's not the focus of the people that came out of the town. That's not the focus of the disciples. Their focus goes to the men. See, we weren't there. We didn't see what great, the gravity of the miracle that Jesus just did, that, that these men were freed of a legion of demons that had just possessed and controlled and, and driven them into the wilderness and, and caused them to break chains, and there was nothing that they could do to control it. And Jesus freed them of that by one word. And when he said, go, that's what's spectacular here. And the herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what? What had happened to the demon-possessed men? They're the herdsmen. They should be complaining about their pigs. That wasn't what was going on here. They just saw the Son of God cast out a legion of demons. Behold, the city came out. Well, they're afraid of Jesus. They ask him to leave. Remember, it's a, it's a journey there and back again. That was the end of it. Here's the final point. As a disciple of Jesus, not only does he have the final word in my life, not only can I trust him above all, but I am a witness of his power. These disciples would later be sent out to go make disciples. Jesus would ascend into heaven. It wasn't enough, actually, that they would be a witness of such events. He would send his Holy Spirit to be in them. So that as witnesses of his power, they could then go and continue the work to save sinners. I am a witness of his power. Power to overcome the impossible. When you step out in faith, when you answer the call, when you go, wherever he's calling you, whatever that looks like, and you enter a storm and you have those moments of God, where are you? Then Jesus shows up and calms the storm. You become a witness of his power. Power over spiritual rulers and powers. Your own testimony is the first evidence of that. Jesus has saved you out from underneath the bondage, out from underneath the imprisonment of the ruler of this world. That's what Ephesians 2 is telling us. You were dead in your trespasses and sin following the course of the ruler of this world. Right? And you responded to Christ, and He has saved you out of that. You are no longer under that. And you're a witness to the power of Christ, even first in your own life. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. Not only has He saved me and called me clean and, and, and 
made me clean, righteous by his righteousness through faith in him. But these things that have been vices in my life, sin that has not only torn my life apart, but has torn apart my relationships, Jesus is doing a miraculous work. His power in my life is changing me. I am finding freedom from things that used to be bondage. As he has said, go, and, and sometimes that storm has been to go re-enter and, and, and speak into a relationship. And I've had to trust him in that. And then Jesus showed me his power to bring about reconciliation. We're witnesses of his power, power over the nations. There's a lot that we could look at today, church, and be worried and give warning. It's not a bad thing to wake up and give warning. Maybe the comforts that we enjoy now are not secure. But we do not need to be fearful. Should the conditions of Afghanistan come to our own shores, we don't need to be fearful. Our conversation doesn't need to be, what if, what if, what if? This could happen. No, that's not what our conversation needs to be. We are witnesses of his power. And with excitement and with full knowledge that, yes, this world is only going to get into a worse state. Yes, I know that. He's already told me that. Not a newsflash. But it's not going to change that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He has the last word in my life. His will is the last word in my life. I can trust him. doesn't matter what you throw at me. doesn't matter what, what seems to fall apart. I can trust him. You bring the worst possible scenario to me, and I'll tell you about the power of my Lord Jesus to save and sustain those who trust in him. The end of Matthew is going to say that Jesus has been granted all power and authority. Jesus, who's calling us to follow him, has all power and authority. And Jesus telling us to go to go and make disciples what does it look like to make a disciple he showed us we get the whole account of him making his disciples church I want to do better at that I'm not content <laughs> how well we're making disciples we need to do better and these truths that they're seeing and observing about Christ are things that we can observe and learn about Christ. There's things that we can do. We can, we can set up our own there and back again. If you've, ever, if you've never been on a missions trip, go on a missions trip. It's a there and back again adventure. Right? It's a biblical thing to go and return. And as a result, perhaps... Someone gets freed from, from demonic oppression or sin or something in the process, but, but God has a purpose in it to make you his disciple that sees him as he truly is, who's willing to trust him, who's willing 
to go anywhere when he says go. So many things that could take our attention. So many things we might think I've got to have ready. Jesus says, follow me. And as we fix our eyes on him, not everything else, but on him. Boy, how that changes everything. We're going to sing a song. Youth, we learned this at camp. The guy who was our, our worship leader, he wrote this at camp. He didn't write it at camp. The guy at camp wrote it. Beautiful. Boy, this song brings so much more depth to the word beautiful because we're directing it towards our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a richness of that as we think and behold our Savior. Better than anything He has done for us, what we have in Him. Riches beyond imagination. Let's sing. Stand and sing.
Open your word, bow our head, focus on you. God, your beauty eclipses everything else, overcomes everything else, God. And, and we can say in truth, when we truly set ourselves in a place to be focused on you, God, wherever you lead, I will follow. Even if it means no place to lay my head, even if it means enduring seems like utter despair. I will follow you. I will trust you. I want you more than anything else. God, make that the true prayer of our heart. Give us faith to see you as you truly are. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.